well, I don't know about you, um, but, but I have a couple of junk drawers. Anyone honest have a junk drawer in their house? Yeah? Uh, we have a couple of junk drawers. Uh, the drawer next to my bed is my personal uh, junk drawer, and uh, that's where things go to die. Um, and then we have an island uh, drawer in the island in our kitchen. And uh, you never know what you're going to find in the junk drawer, right? It's like you don't have a place for it. It goes into the junk drawer. I just quickly this morning, I woke up and I thought, I'm going to look in my junk drawer and see what I haven't had for a while. Um, and so this is a very small, I just grabbed a couple things. These sunglasses, never wore them, but I just can't throw them away. Um, a golf ball, because I'm a, a golfer. Then I love these. Um, these, my, my daughter, if you have young kids, there for a while, they, they were looming uh, bracelets like a million a day. And, um, and so I would wear these. And so those are in my, my junk drawer. And I actually found, uh, if you're interested, you can see what I looked like when I had a little bit of hair. Uh, so I found a college football uh, picture and uh, I didn't even know it was in there. Uh, but the junk drawer, right? The junk drawer is where there's just this hodgepodge of things. Like you never know what's going to be in the junk drawer. Uh, over the last two months, honestly, uh, this is week nine of this series, Galatians, Jesus plus uh, nothing. Uh, my goal has been for us to get a clear picture of the gospel. For many of us, the gospel, even the word gospel or the church, it carries a bunch of junk, right? These things that really are not the gospel at all that we've added to it or we've taken away or just some things that, that aren't really true about who God is. And so my goal over these last two months was really to kind of clean out the spiritual junk drawer that we have. And that the only thing that would be in there is Jesus. And it would be God's grace through Jesus. And so uh, I really have hoped that over the last couple of months, if you've been here, or maybe you go back and you watch it uh, on YouTube, but I really hope there has been this clear understanding of what the gospel really is. That if someone was to come to you and they said, hey, I hear this word gospel, what does it mean to be a Christian? That you would be able to clearly define what that is. And if you can't, or maybe you missed a few weeks, I would encourage you to go back. As some of you have been in the church for a really long time, and so your junk drawer maybe is full of a lot of things. Uh, maybe you haven't been in church, and so your junk drawer is full because you've heard about things about the gospel, and you've heard about things about the church that really are not true. So I think for all of us, we have to kind of dive into it and figure out, okay, well, what is God really all about? Who is Jesus? And so we have this guy named Paul who writes these letters to these Christians. He started these churches and he writes to these Christians to encourage them, to challenge them. He wasn't a Christian. He hated Christians. He was killing Christians. And then God saves him in this radical way. He has this but God moment. And so Paul has these, influ has these influential conversations with these new Christians and so we see him writing to a group in Galatia, and he basically is saying, look, you're all sinners. Uh, you're all broken. We, we all, all of us in this room are broken and separated from God. He said, this is the fundamental, the first part of understanding the gospels. We have to understand that, and we have to realize that, that we're broken people, that we fall short of what God wants for us. And then what we have to understand is there's this separation from God because of it, and that we could do all we can to try and make our way back to God. We can add a big to-do list, a big spiritual to-do list. We can add a bunch of junk to our drawer and we can go to God and think, aren't you pleased with what I have done? And in doing that, we really aren't understanding the gospel because the gospel is this free gift of grace, this unmerited favor that God gives us that we could never earn, that we don't deserve, but, but God freely gives to us through 
Jesus. And so the gospel says that we're broken and we're separated, but there is a way back through Jesus. And it's Jesus plus nothing. We can't add anything to the gospel. And so there's a couple of errors that we've talked about. And this is important that, that every week we kind of get this idea. And there's two errors that we, we come to when we think of the gospel. One is you hear this and you think about your own life and you think that is just too easy. Like you might be sitting there thinking, Kyle, you don't know me. You've never met me. You don't know what my story is. There is no way that Jesus is enough. And so what you do is you then add to it. You add a bunch of rules, you add a bunch of religious activity, and you think, yeah, Jesus is great, but if I could just add something to Jesus, then obviously God will be more pleased with me. And so we think it's too easy, and so we add to it, and when we add to it, it really becomes nothing at all. And so there's things we do, do, or we don't do, thinking that they will simply please God. And there's a lot of good things. There's a lot of good things that draw us closer to God. But the moment you think that that saves you, you've misunderstood the gospel. And so last week, we even, we even looked at the idea of this pagan idol worship, how uh, the, the Greeks, those who would have heard the message of the gospel, there was this idea of other gods. And you would do these things to appease the gods. And if you did the right things, then they would be pleased with you. So whether it was marriage or having a child or whatever it might be, you would appease those gods and they would do something for you. But then Paul says, if you're just checking the box with religious activities of coming to church, then you're really no different than those pagan idol worshipers. We believe our acts are what will save us instead of it being about Jesus. And so there's the first error. Uh, the second error is we think this is incredible, right? That this grace that God gives us, I can do whatever I want and he'll cover me. And so really we've found no freedom either in that area. That we don't understand that God wants way more for us than just to understand that we're covered by his grace and to think that we can do whatever we want. Now, if you've been here a majority of the time, you might be thinking to yourself, uh, Kyle, every week it feels like you've preached the same sermon. You've just changed it up a little bit. And that's true. The first four chapters of Galatians, Paul is just beating this to death. He's just saying the same thing really over and over in several different ways. I probably could have just summarized chapters one through four. Because Paul really is just saying the same thing over and over and over. And that is this idea that the moment you begin to change the gospel, whether you take away or you add, it is no gospel at all. He actually says it's a perversion of the gospel. And so it was important for us to understand that, that Paul is saying, look, you, you can't miss it. This is vital to you. If you are here and you're a follower of Jesus, you must understand this. Because if you believe you can add to it, you've missed it. If you think it gives you a license to do whatever want, you want, you've missed it as well. And so now we've hit chapter five. We've hit chapter five, and these last two chapters, Paul has kind of hit the peak of just killing the, what the gospel looks like, and now we're going downhill. And what this is going to show us is there's some implications of believing the gospel. So the first part, he's going to hit it one last time. We're going to end with this idea of where is this taking us, and then over the next couple of weeks, we'll see what the implications are for our lives. So we're looking at Galatians chapter five. If you don't own a Bible, I say this every week and we really mean it. There's a Bible around you. Please take that. That's our gift to you. Um, if you want to open it, write in it, whatever you need to do, please do that um, as we go through this. Uh, if you're new with us, when we, when we go through a letter or we go through a book, I'll read a little bit and then I'll stop and we'll discuss and teach 
Um, and so that's what we'll do today as we look at Galatians 5, uh, 1 through 15. Starting in verse 1, it says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. All right, we're going to stop already. Um, the, the, the beginning will be a little slow, and then we'll, we'll keep going. Uh, this this uh, scripture alone, um, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. You may read that and think that doesn't really make sense. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. There's some extremely important uh, things in just this very short statement. That the whole reason of the gospel is for you to find freedom. Freedom in lots of different ways. Uh, But we don't take advantage in a a healthy way of the freedom that God extends to us. I, I would guess that most of you don't feel free. You don't feel free because of some of the things that you're doing or the decisions that you've made. You don't feel free even in your relationship with God. There's been the gift of freedom extended to you and you have not grasped onto it. Uh, this week, I was in the, my basement and I hear my wife upstairs like screaming, like the kind of hysterical screaming. Like I know that I can't just sit in the basement and pretend I don't hear her screaming. Like I need to uh, get up from what I'm doing and see what's going on. And so I run up to where my wife is and she's in my daughter's room and she's standing in front of my daughter's gecko cage. Good news, the gecko's fine. We've had those uh, moments, but the gecko was good. But we had just bought about four dozen crickets. Yeah, Uh, the cricket cage was on top of the gecko cage and somehow one of the little holes where the crickets are was just barely open. And so when I go up, I see my wife standing there with crickets out of the cage all over on top of the gecko cage. And the first thing I realized was they weren't going anywhere. Right, they had found freedom. This was their chance to get away, right? And they just sat there like, I don't know what to do. I, uh, I'm supposed to be in there. Or I'm supposed to be getting eaten by, eaten by the gecko, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna stay here. And they literally just sat there with the gecko looking up at them, right? Just envisioning what's about to happen. And so we just slowly grabbed them and either fed them to the gecko or put them back into their cage. There was this opportunity for freedom. They didn't know what to do with it. There were a few that got away. Uh, There might be still a few in our house. We're not really uh, sure. But for the majority of them, they had no idea what it meant to be free. I think for many of you, you've been in the church for a long time and you've heard the idea of finding freedom. But what does that really mean? Some of you walk into this place today feeling like you're enslaved to something or in bondage to something. What would it look like to find freedom? Well, I want to tell you a couple things. Uh, We have found freedom from this religion that is empty and powerless. We believe that there is power in the gospel, that there is power because we're following Jesus. So many people who confess to follow Jesus, there's just no joy to their life. And I'm not talking personality driven. There's just no joy to them. They don't understand what has been done for them. They don't feel love. They're just enslaved to duty, to just checking the boxes. And in that case, they have no idea. They have no idea of this powerful gospel. We've also been set free from this behavior modification based on fear. You can find freedom from that. This idea of being afraid of what God may do to us, right? This visual of the cop around the corner, right? You may know where the cops sit and so you slow down when you get to that spot or you see the cop and you think, man, they're just waiting to get me. Some of you have this picture of God That God is up there somewhere looking down on us, just expecting and waiting for us to mess up. 
And so we, we behave differently. We modify our behavior motivated by fear. That there is freedom from that. The motivation for us to do what God wants us to do is not fear, but love. And we'll look at more of that in just a moment. And then we're also uh, finding freedom from seeking these pleasures that just simply won't fulfill us. They just won't fulfill us. That more stuff won't fulfill us or the right person, right? We talked about that last week, how things become our gods and things become our idols. And we turn our heart and our attention to those things, thinking that they will please and satisfy us. But there can be freedom from that. This freedom that says we find our fulfillment and our purpose in the gospel. And so we're saved and we're set free to experience those freedoms. And when we do, we begin to experience this freedom from a loving father, right? That we're adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. And that he lovingly turns his affection towards us. And it's not based on our moral code, but on his willingness to make a way back to him. And see, his acceptance of us doesn't waver based on our performance. Uh, my dad was in town. My mom was in town this last week. And my son plays baseball. One of the reasons they came in was to see my, my son play baseball. And so my son comes up to the, the uh, plate the first time. And, and earlier in the night, he was talking to my dad. And my dad was like, you're going to hit a home run tonight? And Kate was like, nah, probably not, maybe a triple. And, uh, and so he gets up the first time, man, and there's just this, uh, I, can just take, I can just see this look in his face, right? Not only to please me, his dad, but, but to please his granddad, his, his papa, who's there to see him play. And he had the best hit, the best hit he's had all year, and he gets a triple. And he comes up the next time, and the first few swings, he is just swinging extremely too hard and out of control, and I just look at him, I'm like, just, you're okay, right? This idea that you, you, don't have to, you don't have to attempt just to please people. Right? He doesn't understand that's what I'm doing, but, but I know in his heart what he wants. And it's this idea that if he performs and does well, then I'm gonna be more pleased with him. But what he doesn't understand is I'm pleased with him because he's my boy. I deeply love him because he's mine. Whether he strikes out every time or he hits a home run every time, it's not based on his performance. And the same is true of God. That there is this invitation to call him Abba, Father. This personal dad language. Not the cop around the corner that we're afraid of, but this loving father who loves us deeply. Verse one, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Paul is saying here, don't drift away from what you believed. Don't drift from what you know to be true about the gospel, to be true about who God is. See, because we can slowly drift away from it. We can slowly begin to add things here and there thinking, man, th this isn't because I want to grow in my relationship with God, but maybe if I do this, then, then I'll see a blessing from it, right? I'm not reading the scriptures because I want to know the heart of God and how to live life. I'm doing it because I need to get something from God. And so it's not always big things. It's very small things. And Paul says, would you just stand firm? Would you just hold on tightly to the truth that you know about God? Paul's trying to communicate that when we do that, when we don't do that, we become enslaved all over again. We become enslaved to the yoke of bondage and the burden of trying to perform our way back to God. And he says, just stand firm. Would you perse persevere through it? Would you continue to 
pursue it. But we can also be enslaved to our flesh. And this is what I mean by that. The moment you begin to follow Jesus and you, you confess and you believe in his grace and you believe in the gospel, then we believe that you're saved, that you are now in right standing with God. And that's only because of God, not, not anything we've done. That it's the grace of God that does that for us. And then the moment that happens, we begin to pursue God and we want to become more like Jesus. And the theological word for that is holiness, or we're, we're becoming holy. We're, we're becoming more like God. Now, in the, the meantime, there's this battle that happens, this battle with our flesh, the temptations, the things that we've struggled with maybe our whole lives. And so I also believe that we can be enslaved to those all over again, that if we don't stand firm to the freedom we believe God has given us, then we can be enslaved to those things again. And can I just encourage you that God can set you free from those things? The bondage in your life, whether it's drugs or alcohol, whether it's just being a good moral person, if it's the fear of others or lying or whatever it is for you, whatever the battle is for you, that there's freedom in the gospel. And Paul says, would you just hold firm to the freedom that you have found? Because the moment you begin to tweak the gospel and believe something different, you just become enslaved all over again. Verse 2. It says, mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. Now, if you're new to church, uh, this is an odd scripture, right? If you don't know much about the Old Testament and all of a sudden Paul is talking, talking circumcision, uh, what that is in the Old Testament, it was this external thing that they did to show or to earn God's favor, to show that they were in right standing with God. For us, it would be something that we're trusting externally, right? Something where we would say, hey, look at me and look how good I am. Look at my right standing with God because of what I have done. And again, the, those are good things. Don't get me wrong. Those are, those are good things that you could be doing. But if we believe they save us, then we've missed it. If we think God is looking down on us as we, we drink out of the, the right coffee, co- coffee cup with Philippians 4.13 written a- around it, or if we haven't missed church in 10 years, and we think because of those things that we're in right standing, what Paul is saying is it's just like before when, people, when, when the men were circumcised to be in right standing with God. And the moment you do that, I don't know if you saw this, but it says Christ will be of no value to you at all. You don't need Jesus. If you think you can just earn your way back to God, then Jesus is a waste. You don't need him at all. And he says, if you're going to allow yourself to be circumcised, well, then you have to obey all the laws all the time. And if we're just honest, that's difficult. Anybody, anybody able to, to please God all the time? Um, I heard a story this week and it reminded me when I had little kids, specifically my daughter, uh, she would often say to me, hold you, right? If you've had little kids, you've been around little kids, maybe that's the language that they would use. And so Kennedy would come to me and she would say, hold you, hold you. And so I would say, okay. And so I would kind of wrap my leg around her as she's two and, and she would laugh and she would say, oh, you hold me, right? Because if I, if I really did that, I would... I would crush her. I would crush her. 
the law can be crushing to you. The law will be crushing to you if you think that you're able to follow every single law. And so you can't just be like today, okay, today I'm not going to lie and I'm not going to steal. Okay, those are the two laws that I'm going to follow today. I don't know about the rest. And then tomorrow you're like, eh, I need to tell a little lie because I've got this thing at work. And so maybe I'll do that, but, but tomorrow I'm not going to covet my, my neighbor's stuff. And so you, you don't get to pick and choose. Paul is saying, look, if you're going to believe that circumcision or external performance is what's going to save you, then you have to obey all the laws all the time. And some of you believe that. Some of you, when you mess up, you begin to wonder, what is God going to do to me? And so you're, you're motivated out of fear. And as I said before, you have been set free from that. And so you hear this language where Paul's like, who bewitched you? Who has fooled you into believing that you could do that? It's been this free gift of grace you believed that at one point, but, but now all of a sudden you're believing something different. Now, here's one of the best ways to tell if you're living in freedom or, or if you're being enslaved and you're in bondage to religion and making your way and earning your way back to God is what happens when you mess up? What happens when you mess up? When you make that mistake, you get angry at your spouse when you shouldn't. You make a decision at work that's just not right or moral and you realize it. What do you do when you mess up? Do you, do you go back to the freedom that you have? Do you go back to the understanding of God's grace and forgiveness? And that actually in those moments you rely on grace and forgiveness and you make amends where you can, but it's not out of fear? Or... Do, do you think, man, I better do a bunch of good stuff now? I'm going to give a little more this weekend. I wasn't going to go to church, but I better show up at church because of what I did this last weekend. So it's all based on fear. Well, for many people, and I've had this conversation with people, I haven't seen them in church in a while, and I just encourage them and, and check in on them. And they'll say things like, well, I'm just really struggling right now. I'm really struggling. I'm trying to get my life together. I'm trying to clean up my life. I'm trying to get away from these things that are harmful to me, and then I'll come back. So they don't, they don't understand that, that we come back to God in the midst of those things, and that that's where we find freedom. So are you living in freedom, or are you living in bondage? Verse 6 it says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith. It's expressing itself through love. This is an extremely important statement that Paul makes here. He's basically saying, look, if you're drug addicted or you've never been around it, if you were a virgin when you got married or if you've had a promiscuous life your entire life, whether you were born and then that Sunday you went into the church nursery or this is the first time you've ever walked into a church building, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Grace covers everything. And so your goodness, if you could say, I've checked every box, I've never done any of those things. Okay. Paul says it's to no value in the sense of your right standing with God. And if you're over here and you think, man, I've done everything possible to separate myself from God. Okay. The grace is available to you for you to find freedom. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. 
that this is vital to today's message. This is vital to what we've been talking about over the weeks. And I'll show you how that connects. Let's look at verse 7 and 8. Paul says, again, using that language he's kind of used before, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Who did it to you? Who, who led you away from the freedom of God's grace? Who cut in on you? Who led you astray? Paul says that kind of persuasion doesn't come from Jesus. It is not from God. Paul isn't trying to communicate to the reader that you can just do whatever you want. He's not saying that who kept you from obeying the truth in the sense of just do what you want and the truth is that God will forgive you. He's connecting it back and saying what is most important, what matters the most, is faith expressing itself through love. So if you claim to believe this, and you claim to have found freedom, if you believe that Jesus is enough, then the result of your freedom is reflected in how you live your life. So we obey the truth because we understand our faith comes from God's love in our life. He's saying that the faith expressing itself through love, not fear or condemnation, is what leads us to obey. It's what leads us to say, okay, yes, that's what I want to do in my life. Uh, I'm not going to follow the rules to earn God's love, but because God loves me, then I want to follow what he has for me. I want to look more like Jesus because he loves me so much. That's our motivating factor, not fear. Not fear. So we, we talked a few weeks ago that we're justified, that God says, look, you're blameless. You're covered because of Jesus. And then he adopts us. He calls us sons and daughters, and our response is to call him Abba, Father. But he doesn't just justify us. He doesn't just adopt us, but he loves and delights in us. This is what motivates us. So when we read the scriptures or we feel that God is saying, this is what you should do, then our response is yes. Yeah, because you love me, God, and I know you want the best for me and for my family and for my community. I'll say yes out of the obedience because you love me, not because I'm afraid of him, but because he loves me. It's all motivated by love. My wife goes on the ladies retreat a couple of times or uh, once a year uh, uh, for the last few years and she's got a little bit of a drive. And so every year on Sunday, it's been just me and the kids for several days. And so our house, you know, it needs a little cleaning and some picking up. And so uh, my wife will tell me, hey, I'm leaving and I'm heading home. And my kids know that everything stops and we pick up the house, right? And then I, I know from her phone where she's at. And so I'll kind of monitor her on the way home. And I'll be like, one hour. We have one hour before mom gets home. We got to clean. We got we to gotta pick up. Because when mom gets home, I want her to step in and not have to worry about anything. Now, I don't do that because I'm afraid of Heather, right? If you know Heather, that's an even funnier uh, statement. She's such a gentle, graceful uh, person. But I don't do it because I'm afraid of what she'll do to me. I'm not doing it because I'm afraid she'll be mad at me or have something against me. I do it because she loves me and I love her. I do it because I want to honor her. I do it because it's what's best for her and for me and for our relationship. I don't do it out of fear, but out of love. And so the same can be true for you. Is your obedience out of love or is it because you're afraid? You're just simply afraid that God is going to 
cause you to suffer or to curse you. And so you do what you're supposed to. And there is no joy and there is no life in that. We've found freedom from those things. Verse 9 says, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. We'll spend too much time here, but he's saying, look, I'm holding firm to grace and Jesus alone. And because of that, uh, Paul gets imprisoned for preaching the gospel. He, he gets beaten and persecuted for preaching the gospel. And he says, it would just be easier for me to preach circumcision and no need for Jesus. And Paul says, it's worth it to me that he has found freedom in the midst of, of being persecuted, in the midst of being in prison and shipwrecked. And you can read the stories of Paul. He did not have an easy life when he began to follow Jesus. But Paul would say, it's worth it. And he says, look, it just takes a little bit of the yeast. It takes a little bit of drifting for you to begin to lose out on what the gospel means. And he says, those people who do that to you, the false teachers, the one who preach no gospel at all, they will pay the penalty. And then he says in verse 12, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. That is some strong language, right? I'll just leave that there. Verse 13, he says, you, my brothers, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge in your sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. So here we see it. Here at the end, Paul is now making the turn. It has been all about grace and it is all about Jesus and how we can be in right standing with God. And now Paul is going to say, when that happens, there is a result to it. Something begins to happen in your life when you truly understand that you're loved, when you truly understand grace. And he says, don't use that freedom for your sinful nature. Don't have a license to do whatever you want. No, no, no. The idea is that you will serve one another in love. Verse 14, the entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. I talked briefly last week about the prodigal son. Uh, if you haven't been in church, maybe you've heard the story of the prodigal son. He tells his father, give me everything that's coming to me. When you die, I want it now. He runs. He has this moment after he's wasted everything where he says, I really probably should go back home. I wonder if my father will hire me. I can work my way back into right standing with God. And he comes up with these conversation starters with his father. But the father sees him running. His father sees him coming home. And the father doesn't wait. His father goes out and meets him. And as the prodigal son begins to say the conversations, the father takes his robe and he covers him. And he gives him a ring and he says, you are home. You are in right standing with me. And it was all based on what the father did to him. And he goes home and they throw this huge party. Now this is a, this is a parable. So Jesus is making a point to those who are listening. And there was the, the older son who did everything right, but he had missed the gospel as well. He had missed out on who Jesus was, the picture of the father deeply loving him. But the, the parable ends, and I, and I wondered, uh, what if the parable kept going? Like, what if the prodigal son said, oh man, it's amazing how much the father loves me. I mean, it was rough out there, but there were some uh, times of enjoyment. I had a little fun. I experienced some things. I'm just going to go do it again. 
I'm going to go do it again, and I know when I come back home, the Father will cover me. And Paul says, look, don't, don't use your freedom for that. Don't, don't use the freedom of being loved to, to satisfy those things because those things come with guilt and shame, condemnation and hurt and consequences. He says, no, 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 use your freedom to love people. Like if you want to talk about the law, if you want to talk about what's most important, then love your neighbor as you love yourself. And you want to know how you love your neighbor as you love yourself? You know that you're deeply loved by God. It is much easier to love others if you believe that you're deeply loved. If you believe that grace has covered you for everything you've done, then you believe grace is able to cover those around you. No matter who they are, the life they live, or what they believe, then your freedom is allowing you to love others. He says, don't devour each other. Don't be out to get one another. No, no, no. Love as you have been loved. Man, I wish I had time to stand here and tell story after story of how I see that happening in our community that so many of you believe that you're deeply loved and you love well. Uh, I'm going to tell a really, really quick story. Um, Janie, who is uh, often in the back and she, she greets people, she's not here today, and so I, I feel like I could tell this story because she's not here and she won't get mad at me. Um, Deontay is a young man who I've been working with for a little over a year. He's been homeless since he was really 13. He graduated high school from Hayeswood East. He's 20 years old. He's couch surfed since he was 13. Hasn't slept in a bed for two years. Uh, at times wondering what he'll eat, sleeps on couches of cousins and aunts. And, and so I've been helping Deontay and with your help with a car and connections with a job. And well, the house he was staying in, they were basically kicking him out. He said, you got to go somewhere. You need to go rent an apartment. Well, he works one job. He's getting another job. He goes to school. And so I went to Janie and I said, Janie, I have a really difficult question. Um, would you think about allowing Deontay to live with you? I was like, don't answer me now. I want you to think about it. You can get back to me within a week. And this is what she said. Why do I got to think about it? What is there to think about? Uh, He's a kid in need and I have a room. He can live with me. And he already has felt the love of Miss Janie. The meals, the hugs, the no pressure to get out, get out quickly, a bed, right? The, The reason that Janie does this is because she knows she's been deeply loved. And so it's easy for her to say, well, obviously I'm going to love him. I'm going to take care of him. I'm not going to need anything from him. And this isn't so God would be pleased with Janie. Janie knows she's, she's good. It is completely out of love. There is something radical that will happen in our lives when we truly believe that we're deeply loved and that there's nothing we can do to earn God's love because then we aren't expecting other people to do things to earn our love. We just love people because we know that we are deeply loved All of the laws, everything you can read in the scriptures is summed up in that one word, love. Our love for God and our love for one another. Have you found freedom? If you're new to the church, if you're new to this idea of Jesus, have you found freedom from a worthless religion, from a joyless, a passionless religion? Have you found freedom from those things that enslave you and keep you bonded to them? Have you found freedom? For those of you in the church, you've been in church for a long time, have you, have you found freedom? Can you remember the freedom that you experienced because of grace and grace alone? If not, maybe today is the day where you would say, I want to experience that. That you would just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you believe in your heart that he has saved you, not because of anything you've done, but only because of what he has done on our behalf.
Maybe today is the day where the trajectory of your life looks different. That you could actually believe that it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It is everything that you need. And the moment it's Jesus plus something, it equals nothing. Would you begin to understand you are deeply loved and love others in a radical, radical way? That where people would say, I don't believe what you believe, I don't believe in God, but I know that you love others. That there is a response to the love that we have experienced by God. Greg's gonna come up and, and close us in our last song. Would you stand with me as I pray for us this morning? Father, I'm so thankful that you have, because of freedom, set us free. That you want us to experience the free life and not to be enslaved to anything, whether it's religion or our flesh, that you want us to experience the freedom of you being our good Father and that we may be motivated by your love and not out of fear. Would you help us to believe that? Would you help us to understand that? And when we do, when we really begin to do that, that we would love others well, that we would love all people God, would you help us to be those kind of people, those who confess to follow you and follow the most important command, to love you and to love others. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.